Welcome back to the Anglo-Boer War Podcast with me, your host, Des Latham. This is episode 132, and the Canadians are in for a shock in the Transvaal. There are a few more skirmishes and one more big battle after this, with its frustrations for the British and determination by the Boer Dahards or bitter enders to continue their war against an empire at its zenith. We will hear about General Christian de Wette and Lord Kitchener, who are closer physically than at virtually any other time in the war. Kitchener arrived in the Transvaal town of Claxtorp on the 26th of March. De Wette has evaded Kitchener's columns and blockhouses in the Free State to the south and is about to cross over the Vaal River to join General Coeur de la Rey. More about that in a while. What these soldiers don't know is that there have been peace moves afoot internationally for some time. The Dutch Prime Minister, Abraham Kuyper had sent a coded message to Lord Lansdowne, the British Foreign Secretary, on January 21st, 1902. As was the case in those days, the language used was French, the language of diplomacy. And in his forthright French way, The Hague was offering Entrée de Pas, a peace treaty between the British and Boers. The Dutch went one step further. They had already worked out a scenario. First, the three members of the Boer delegation, which we heard about last year, who were still in the Netherlands, would return to South Africa to confer with Boer leaders and then return with an authorization to conduct peace talks somewhere in the Netherlands. On the 29th of January, Lord Lansdowne bluntly replied that the British government appreciated the humanitarian considerations that inspired the offer, but on principle declined the intervention of foreign powers in the South African war. Leitz, who was Paul Kruger's secretary in Holland, heard about Caper's offer through the newspapers and was not amused. Why had the Dutch Prime Minister not bothered to confer with him or Kruger? What also angered the Boer emissaries in Europe was the tone adopted by the Netherlands' missive. The letter, which failed to call on the British to end an imperialist war, nor did it mention the abuses being suffered by Boer women and children in the internment camps. The Dutch message implicitly urged the Boers to give up a hopeless cause. Worse, that response came at about the same time another arrived from America, which was also negative. President Roosevelt had told the Boers that his predecessor McKinley had offered his services as a mediator and had been turned on flatly by the British, so Roosevelt told the Boers any attempted intervention would be folly. By the end of February 1902, the Swiss also turned down Boers' suggestions of mediation, while others such as Russia and Germany simply didn't bother replying. So now it's March 1902, a month filled with hope and fear on both sides. Leitz and Kruger in the Netherlands had been excited by General Coeur de la Rey's resounding success at Tuyabosch on the 7th of March, as well as the amazing capture and release of Lord Methuen. The fact that such a noble gesture had been made by de la Rey had a remarkable effect on the sentiment about the Boers, particularly in Europe. The fact that they were still capable of such a military success also came as a surprise. Leitz was to receive more good news by the end of March 1902, even though diplomacy was floundering. That was about Jan Smuts, who was plundering and pillaging parts of the Northern Cape, as we heard about in the last few podcasts. That news had come via German Southwest Africa, and Smuts had sketched a rather rosy picture of the situation in the Northwest Cape. Leitz was suddenly very homesick, and as Martin Bosenbrook describes in his great work, The Boer War, 
wrote to his wife that, I would so dearly love us to be in the open felt of South Africa. Having spent so much of my time with our couriers over the past few days, I so enjoyed savoring the air that it was almost unbearable to be here. Had he been transported to his beloved South African felt at that point, he would have been somewhat disappointed. Vast swathes of the land had been burned, and the corpses of dead livestock lay scattered across an area the size of Spain and parts of France. Farmhouses were blown up, ruined, the population hiding in mountains or in canyons, or captured and sitting in concentration camps, dying. The air was full with the smell of death and discord. It was into this air that messengers rode from Lord Kitchener to the Transvaal Deputy President Skulk Berger. Lord Kitchener had been trying to figure out how to entice the Boers to the peace table, and by early March 1902, Kitchener thought he'd find a way. He sent two communications directly to Berger. He sent nothing to Free State Prime Minister Martin Steyn. Kitchener was acutely aware that the Transvaal Boers were wavering. Free State Boers were not. President Steyn had been travelling constantly with General Christian de Wet and was not in any mood to surrender. He was unshakable in his belief that the war should continue until the British had been driven out of South Africa. Kitchener then received word from Berger that outstripped even his highest expectations. On March 10th, Berger wrote that he was eager and willing to propose terms for peace. But first, he would have to confer with President Steyn. Would Kitchener be willing to allow him to cross British lines from his lair in the northern Natal region, where he was laid up with General Louis Boter, and head to wherever Steyn was? The big question facing both men was, where in the world had Steyn ended up? Neither Berger nor Kitchener knew the answer to that question. The president had last been spotted near Kroonstadt in the Free State weeks before. Remarkably, Kitchener's information was closer to the mark than Berger's, and the British commander gave his intelligence information to his enemy, who was then allowed through British lines to go search for his Free State counterpart. Steyn was eventually tracked down on the 26th of March, the same day that Lord Kitchener's armoured train rumbled into Clerkstorp, as we heard about last week. Steyn was not in the Free State at all, but in the Western Transvaal. His eyes had been troubling him for weeks, and he was being treated by De La Rey's physician. When Steyn heard about the plans for peace, he did not reject the idea out of hand, and proposed a meeting nearby either Potchestrum or Clackstorp of the Boer generals. Kitchener took the final decision. It would be Clackstorp, and the meeting between political and military leaders was set for April 9th. It would be ten Transvaalers, including Berger, Reitz, Boerter and De La Rey, and seven Free Staters, including Steyn, De Wet and Herzog, who would caucus first to consider their options. Almost ten months had passed since the Boer leaders had met at Butterfall on June 20, 1901, to discuss previous British overtures to end this war. Thousands more had died since then, but the Boers appeared to be determined to continue fighting. We will return to these internal Boer talks in upcoming podcasts. First, what was happening on the ground in late March? General Christian de Wet had brought Steyn out of the Free State on March 15th over a strongly flowing Val River, which had caused them some difficulty. The current was so strong that in places the horses were almost swimming. In other places, the riverbed was strewn with huge boulders over which our steeds had to climb. By 17th March, 
Devete joined Delaray, and the occasion was joyous. We had a hearty reception, several impromptu addresses being presented to the president, who in turn spoke to the burghers with much fire and enthusiasm. Lord Methuen's capture and the destruction of his column was welcomed. All were in high spirits, unaware that Burger was riding towards them with news that the British wanted to talk peace again. Dr. van der Rennekampf, having examined the President's eyes, said he must remain for some time under his care. And so de Wet rode off with a small group of staff to join General Badenhorst, who was nearby in the town of Bosov. De Wet was also trying to make contact with General Nivot to discuss with him how best they might collect their forces, for I wished to be able to attack the first English column that should enter the western district of the state. By the 25th of March, the day before Berger arrived at Delaray's camp to talk to President Steyn, Christian de Wet joined up with Badenhorst on a dry salt bed called Hanapan, 30 miles northeast of Bosov. Three days later, on the 28th of March, de Wet was to receive the shocking news that Skulkberger had been provided with safe passage through the British lines to meet President Steyn and discuss peace. While de Wet muttered and mumbled about the Transvaal government being unwise, he never outright said they were untrustworthy, but things were going to become extremely violent a short distance away in Boschbult in a few hours. Roughly translated, Boschbult means Bushridge, and it would be etched into Canadian military consciousness for some time afterwards. Even though the numbers killed were not vast, it would be the second greatest loss in a single battle in South Africa. The British would call this the Battle of Hearts River. The 900-strong 2nd Regiment Canadian Mounted Rifles had arrived in the region in mid-March 1902 and already had taken part in a major offensive involving 16,000 troops we heard about last week. The 2nd Regiment Canadian Mounted Rifles was part of the third contingent of troops that Canada had sent to South Africa. So many Canadians volunteered that they had made up six squadrons instead of the initial four that were planned. The Canadians set off early in the morning of the 31st of March in a column that included the 2nd Regiment embarked on a 65-kilometre search for Boers along the bed of the practically dry Brach Spreit, which ran off the much larger Hartz River. They were behind the main force, led by Colonel Cookson. By mid-morning, the scouts had struck a fresh trail, apparently made by a small number of Boers. Sensing an easy victory, the column went off in pursuit, leaving the 2nd Regiment to follow, escorting the slow-moving baggage train. The Canadians and British thought their prospects were good. They were wrong. The Boers, in fact, outnumbered the British force and had the advantage of terrain. Colonel Cookson, with his columns that were a division of Kitchener's forces, made contact with the commander of General Liebenbach on the farm Bospan. Liebenbach hurried away and was chased by Cookson, perhaps a little too quickly, which opened up his units. Liebenberg was taken by surprise. He managed to make it to Thornbushes on the farm Boschbult, where they took up position and stopped Cookson with heavy cannon and gunfire. Cookson took up position in a residential house and in a cattle kraal on the eastern side, ordering the mounted rifles, cannons and supply wagons to gather close to the farmhouse. It so happened that a family of women and children were in the farmhouse and were going to watch the upcoming battle. Colonel Cookson split his force, with some staying on the southern side of the Brachspreit River. Unfortunately for Cookson, Liebenberg's force was then joined by the commanders of Generals Kemp, Silius and de Toy. 
Kemper and Dutoy immediately attacked Cookson, but for some reason Lübenberg held back. Later, he was to say he was not informed of the timing. All during the afternoon, the Boers shelled Cookson's camp with artillery, while their riflemen on the surrounding ridges poured down a steady and deadly fire. By the time the Canadians arrived with the baggage train, the Boers were beginning to push the British defences back, and the Boers had been joined by Coeurs de la Rey. The Boers then made a series of mounted charges, during one of which a party of 21 Canadians under Lieutenant Bruce Carruthers was cut off by a vastly superior force. Rather than surrender, the men fought on until their ammunition was exhausted and their position was overrun in an honourable last stand. 18 of the 22 were killed or wounded. At five o'clock, the Boers suddenly broke off the engagement and withdrew. General de la Rey believed that Cookson must have called for reinforcements and surely Kitchener was close by. It wasn't true. Kitchener had been told that Cookson had been completely overrun and so did not hurry directly to Bushbolt, rather deciding to organise his force to arrive the following day. So the battle was a British defeat. Out of a total force of 1,800 men, the British lost 33 killed, 126 wounded, 70 missing. Yet, it could have been worse had de la Rey pressed home his advantage. With the exception of the first engagement at Pardebach in February 1900, Hart's River was the bloodiest day of the war for Canada. The Boers lost 40 men killed. However, there was a secondary effect of the use of cannon and machine gun fire. Most of Cookson's horses and mules now lay dead, which was to slow Kitchener down and allow de la Rey's escape once more. In a side note, because all conflicts have these strange goings-on, a Canadian who'd survived the battle called William Nisley and five other comrades were on the run. During the battle, the group had been cut off and decided to make their way back to their base in Claxtorp. For two days, they rode through hostile Boer territory, chased at times by Boer commandos. Their luck ran out just before they made the safety of Claxtorp. They were surrounded at a stone kraal by around 50 Boers a few miles out of town and fought heroically until they ran out of ammunition. Nisley and a second Canadian were killed in that skirmish, the rest taken prisoner. As was the case in this stage of the war, the Boers removed the Canadians' uniforms to use themselves. Except for Nisley, they left him in his uniform so he could be buried with full dignity. Much later, Nisley's grieving relatives in his rural Ontario home in Canada took up a subscription and set up a monument to him in front of the courthouse at Cayuga in 1907. I'm told it still stands there today. Another from that group who survived the terrifying attempt at escaping the Boers until they were cornered at the Stone Kraal was one called Chester Rogers. Barely a dozen years later, he once again signed up for King and Country, but this time would not survive the trenches of the First World War. After fighting for three years, Rogers was eventually killed during the Battle of Vimy Ridge in the Nord-Pas-de-Calais region in 1917. So back to South Africa and the effects of the Battle of Boschbult. Lord Kitchener's enormous relief force eventually arrived on the morning 1st April 1902 and he found his information was incorrect. Colonel Cookson was very much alive and not overrun, and the Boer forces had withdrawn the previous day. Cookson was out of danger, so Kitchener returned to Driekeil in time to meet up with Rawlinson and his 3,000 men, 
It was then Kitchener received word that Berger had convinced his Boer colleagues to talk peace. So, on the 5th of April, President Steyn received another letter from Deputy President Berger, arranging that a meeting should take place in Klaxdorp. A safe conduct for the President and the Government of the Free State was sent at the same time. General Christian de Wett was somewhat surprised, as we've heard. Yet, the news of this meeting had still to reach General Jan Smuts, who'd been marauding around the Northern Cape. As far as Smuts was concerned, it was business as usual. He was waiting for the British to send a boat full of soldiers from Cape Town along the Atlantic seaboard to Port Nolith, as we heard last week. He would only be made aware of the peace talks at the end of April, long after the Boer generals had gathered in Klaxdorp to palaver over whether or not to accept any terms. Smuts was still planning his attack south, deep into the Cape, perhaps as far as Cape Town. But now we must cease fire. Thanks again to Ryan, who sent me more details about his Lindley exploits. I hope to travel to the historic town once again, one of these days, of course, after our lockdown has been lifted. If you want to send me a message, you can email me through the website abwarpodcast.com or through Twitter at Des Latham. Until next week, goodbye and fast En zonder gedaan langs die moeier die ze wel het zeeproorlogsdagen bleef. O breng mij terug naar die Oud-Ransval, daar waar mijn Sari woont. Daar onder in die mil is bij die groen door een boom, daar woont mijn Sari Mare. Daar onder in die mil is bij die groen door een boom, daar woont mijn Sari Mare.